Hello and welcome to Slightly Drunk and Extremely Online. My name is Colin Schulz. I am here with Ty Halaz and Carl Vernon. And today we're going to talk about self-policing communities on the internet. I'm not going to have much of a preamble. The pot will speak for itself, so we'll go straight to the drinks. So I have a steel reserve. <laughs> oh man, I got to go find the can. You you poured your steel reserve in a glass? <laughs> It's yeah, like a- I'm drinking Steel Reserve in a glass. It's the Steel Reserve Alloy Series Spiked Punch 211, whatever that means. Really classic uh, it up. It's brewed for extra gravity and a smooth flavor, as I said the last time I was drinking Steel Reserve. <laughs> 8% alcohol, 24 fluid ounces for about $2 and something. So there you go. Steel Reserve is the choice of street bums all over Center City, Philadelphia. Strongly recommended. Uh, Ty, what do you got? <laughs> I am drinking uh, a limited edition from Abita Brewing uh, in Louisiana. It's called Andy Gator. It is a Hell's Doppelbach, which means it is malty like a Doppelbach, but blonde in color. And it is 8% alcohol by volume. Nice. 8% crew. What do you got, Carl? Uh, I just have a, a little bit of the uh, Tullamore Dew, some Irish whiskey. Oh, the Tully. <laughs> The Tully. Excellent. Going in on the Tully. You got to do the do. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. I can't wait Uh, for Tully Code Red. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's when you pour some Steel Reserve Ally Spiked Punch into Tullamore Dew. I think that's how you make Tully Code Red. Yeah. uh, You can have that one for free, Steel Reserve. You have my permission. Free and unrestricted uh, license. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Ty, you wanted wanted to tell us about the bourbon community and the way that they self-police online. So yeah. just go for it. So the bourbon community is uh, it's not that large, uh, even though there's a lot of subscribers to the bourbon subreddit. And there are about 12,000 people in the largest of the secret Facebook groups. Uh, they're the active contributors and the active buyers and sellers in the secondary market are much fewer, maybe a few thousand uh, across the country that really make this into a, a hobby uh, or at least a hobby that they're participating in online actively. And so there's been a couple scandals, uh, big scandals lately in the bourbon community. One was a guy who was admitted after confronted with evidence by some of the people in charge of the Facebook groups uh, to faking really, really expensive bottles. And there were a lot that he had faked and pawned off as real ones and made a lot of money in the process. And so there was this massive uprising of people trying to make a claim on getting their money back, the mods trying to sort everything out, people taking matters into their own hands and trashing his real estate firm on its Yelp page and talking about how he's built tons of people out of their money kind of thing. There's a lot of self-policing in that regard. Everyone's very vigilant and looking for fakes at all times. I was thinking about this, just, you know, thinking about things that are extremely online and the, like, what are the motivations that people, you know, that cause people to start taking matters into their own hands and policing all of these things you know, all over the internet. Well, just to rewind real quick, what does fake bourbon sales look like on the internet? Like, are they, is he getting labels off of 
other bourbons and selling right. them as something else? Or how, how, is that, how does that even work? So good question. I probably should have led with how the secondary market for bourbon works on the internet. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, it is illegal to resell uh, your liquor to other people in the United States because you don't have an alcohol license and that's a federal law. It's also illegal to ship it without a liquor license and none of us have those. And so shipping alcohol has been a huge snafu online cross state borders for a few years. I mean, I remember you weren't allowed to order every state has different rules about what you can and can't order into the state. And it's such a pain in the ass and states are very gradually coming around to it as I think they realize it is like a potential for income. But yeah, so sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, there's these communities have sprung up to facilitate the trading and sale of bourbon and other whiskey and to a lesser extent liquor in general Mm -hmm. online because there's with with the recent popularity that bourbon and rye have experienced relative like scotch that's been popular for a long time the the demand far out far exceeds the supply that distilleries are able to keep up with and so like you have your brands like pappy van winkle or the buffalo trace antique collection to name the most notable examples they are producing maybe nine to 12,000 bottles a year of these special limited editions. And there's way more people that want that. And there's a lot of people that want multiples of these. And so you have a bottle that retails for about $80 in the store. That's the MSRP. But then the minute that somebody buys it in the store, they can get online on the secondary marketplace and sell it for upwards of $500. And so you have people that are in the hobby because they love bourbon. You have people that are in it just to make money. And you have people that are in it to do both. And so the community has kind of built up around this marketplace, uh, this informal marketplace existing on the internet. So when I say that... Are these person-to-person transactions? Like this is like yeah. you send me a private message on this form on Reddit or you send me a message on Facebook Messenger and you just agree to a PayPal or some sort of escrow service and I ship you the bourbon. And so there's no like yes. formal marketplace since this is illegal. I mean, it, all of right. this is, I mean, it's pretty low on the ladder of like severe internet crimes, but still. It's very much an honor among thieves thing where you know, everyone's doing this illegal thing, but they are doing it in a nominally reputable way. Uh, you know, these communities are the community at large is made up of smaller communities that are run by a certain person or group of people that attempt to exert rules and influence over the way that trading and selling happens in that particular forum. So there's people that have rules on Reddit. There's different rules in another Facebook group. There's different rules in another Facebook group. And so you are incentivized to not dick anyone over because that will quickly spread like wildfire and you will be excised from the entire community because someone in this group will tell someone in that group and pretty much you're a persona non grata. And so so bourbon and whiskey and liquor in general, I mean, no offense, but it's a contend towards the pretentious like people have very very strong opinions about particular whiskeys or flavors or bourbons so let's say that i go on and i want to sell something that 
the particular moderator of this particular community thinks is a subpar bourbon or, or, or a scotch or something that's like not up to standard. I mean, how does that, does, does, is there a degree of subjectivity that plays a role where if they say, oh my God, you can't sell a bottle of, you know, bookers for $75 on. It, it's kind of remarkable how homogenous the community at large is with regard to that specific thing that you mentioned. So if someone comes in and tries to sell some bottle of bookers right off the shelf for a $30 markup, that person will be, that post will be just downvoted or laughed into oblivion. Everyone will post on it and make fun of this guy. He gets laughed out of the room because he didn't know. He didn't know how to say the right words. He doesn't know that the bottle that he just posted is what the community refers to as a shelf turd. So <laughs> you can get it anywhere you go. And so there, there's this strange mix. People are looking for valuable bottles. But if you bring in a valuable bottle and sell it for, you know, ask for $200 more than the prevailing market rate, you get laughed out of the room for that. People are like, ah, oh, this idiot, he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, and, so, uh, and again, back to this honor among thieves right. thing, like, you know, everyone is speculating, but fuck that guy. He's trying to speculate way harder than the rest of us. It's such a laughable thing to like say out loud, but that's the way that the community acts in its hive mind. So those are just little fascinating aspects of yeah. it. But and this is a big, your first question, this is a big community too. So this isn't just like yeah. 20 dudes who all have the no. same ideas about this highly subjective product. This is like a large, like multi thousand person community. These are thousands of people driving. What is the market value for these things, you know, on an illegal black market? And right. so with these people, uh, you know, they're on the lookout for fakes. The way you would do a fake is you don't print your own labels or anything. You buy an empty bottle off of somebody or you just obtain an empty bottle or you finish your own empty bottle. You take an empty bottle and then you buy the little foil things that go on top of the bottle that look like the seal. And you like use a pull a hairdryer on it and that becomes the new seal and you can fill it with whatever you want. And then, you know, the pictures are a big part of every transaction and someone's going to look at the pictures. And if you can pass the the picture test, you can make a fraudulent sale. So, so, so tell us about this guy. He sold a lot of fake booze from the sound of it. Yes. I don't know. And I don't want to speculate like why he would uh, start to do that. But I mean, he, he was a big player. He sold a lot of stuff. It was a big part of it. And you know, one per. It, it's not if you just have like one person catch you on it, it, you can kind of sweep it under the rug. You say, "Oh, I didn't know." But when the mods start to get multiple reports about you, they're going to start accruing a record. It's basically like an informal investigation service. They're going to you know, accrue all of the evidence from each transaction that you did and research the pictures that were involved in that and talk to the people that bought from you. Uh, and all of these sorts of things until they build a case, until they establish probable cause that you have been bilking the community. And then they went to him and confronted him with evidence and he admits it. And it's almost like admitting it causes a even bigger problem because like, what do you do now? Yeah. Like, right. How do you get, the, like how do you get has, the money? <laughs> right. It's a black market. Right. There's no legal enforcement mechanism to get that money back from him. So he's only going to give as much back as he can or will, or, you know, feels 
obligated to do to remain a part of the community. But and that's why a lot of the mods were saying, please don't go right on his Yelp page because the more you trash him in real life, the more he's not going to be willing to cooperate and save face. And that's everyone loses their money. He just, so if I wasn't, but if I was a thief on the internet and I was, I was putting all this time and effort into generating these fakes and, and it sounds like there's, there's to some level of scrutiny that, that these photos are put up to. So you're putting in hard work, creating these quality fakes and then you're getting all this money and then you get caught. Why on earth would you, would you give any money back? Wouldn't you just take that's the a, money, take take your lumps yeah, and leave? Like, that's a very interesting. <laughs> and why question. would he use his, anything that's tied to his real real estate business or anything like that? Like why would why wouldn't you just create a fake PayPal and a fake alias? And I mean, so it seems like he wanted well, to be a part of the community, but also was ripping everybody off. Well, they they also like fake profiles are also kicked out uh, summarily. So if it seems like you have created a fake account then you're done. So it behooves you and it's a mark of you know, your honesty in the community to be using your authentic Facebook profile and Facebook messenger to conduct business. So he did, you know, it's the kind of thing where like, it's not like, not that I can speak to his motivations again, but it's not the kind of thing that I think he said, Oh, I'm going to get involved in this hobby and I'm going to make a lot of money out of it by making fakes. I think that, you know, you get in cause you're interested in it. You get swept up in like the the hunt of finding these things and you know turning. You ever see that episode of The Office where Dwight tries to go through the garage sale uh, with like one little thing and turn it into a telescope at the end, and then Jim bilks him for the magic beans. Like, <laughs> right. You you get caught up with it, with the trading and making your you know nothing right. bottle that you had access to and nobody else had access to into a much more expensive thing, and then. Once you kind of get over that and you've experienced that, I think that that's where you may fall prey to the desire to take it to the next level, which would be to right. like make fakes. I completely believe yeah. that you can buy these empty bottles online because people are just weird like Absolutely. that. Absolutely, like just having the bottle. They're all over YouTube, which is which is a whole other. It's a, it's a whole different pathology of like why do you need to have. Like, are you, like you're you're obtaining these empty bottles of something you didn't drink to sort of, you know, tell people like, oh, I drank this really great bourbon or whatever, you know, like you you can't afford to purchase the insanely expensive things, so you just buy the bottle instead. So that's okay. So this so so what was what was the conclusion to this uh, compelling tale of uh, uh, of intrigue and. This guy is no longer allowed in the community, and it's not just that he's not allowed in. It's that if anyone else in the groups is caught doing business with him, they are kicked out. So it's like the ultra, ultra blacklist. that You can't even be seen with this guy or you're fucked. There's kind of a twofold motivation for such vigilance in the community, and the first is obviously... It's illegal, so yeah. Anyone <laughs> don't call attention to it, up. right? You you have any one person has the potential to fuck it up for everyone else, and so it's a very protectionist thing about that. But it's also protectionist of the hobby itself, of keeping the hobby pure with people that are in it for the whiskey or in it for at least respect the people that are in it for the whiskey, and you know that sort of thing. 
which is kind of an interesting contrast, I think, to other self-policing online communities where you're not working with this black market protectionist attitude. It's more like like the the marathon runners, the people who cheat in the marathons. What possible incentive does anyone have to out these people? They're not making money on it. Is it purely protection of the hobby? Well, one, of, one, of, one of the funniest stories about that, and this um, talks about a community that we'll talk about at a later date. This was, I guess, last year, um, the Huffington Post lifestyle writer and food blogger cheated on the, <laughs> the New York Marathon, basically rode a bike for part of it. <laughs> <laughs> and she was wearing a GPS yeah. tracker. So th- the way that she got outed was hilarious because... So she had a timing chip. You get a timing chip when you run a marathon. And the timing chip uh, showed that the second half of the marathon, she was unusually fast because you, you get clocked generally like at your half marathon spot. She had a Garmin watch on and then she uploaded it to Strava, uh, which is, a for those who don't know what it is, it's a, an online social network for runners and cyclists primarily. I think they might have swimming or something else like that, but generally it's runners, runners and cyclists. So she uploaded it to Strava because people called into question the fact that she finished the race so much faster than she started. And they're like, yeah, the Strava shows that you basically were operating at speeds faster than a human being can run. So <laughs> for like, <laughs> yeah, she owned herself. She had to upload it. And, that, and that's what's so funny about it. I don't know whether her watch automatically uploaded it. And I love that she's a lifestyle writer and food blogger on top of all this. But uh, and qualifying for the New York Marathon is like a huge pain in the ass, too. So to to do all that and then decide that you want to ride a bike through part of it whether her watch uploaded it automatically or not yeah strava is this that actually is a story probably for another day but there is a actually that's a perfect story to talk about now there's a cyclist who has on strava been outed repeatedly as cheating and on strava you're cheating for achievements you're cheating for what they call king of the mountain achievements this amateur cyclist who a few people had ridden with in like semi-pro races decided he wanted to get up all these king of the mountain achievements around southern california and so he did and people were like is this guy juicing like is he doing steroids and epo and like performance enhancing drugs just to get these king of the mountain things because all it is is a leaderboard. You know, you show up at the top of the leaderboard for these particular segments in Strava, which are these community created small stretches of road that you can ride your bike down. And if you go the fastest, you become king of the mountain and then someone else rides faster than you. And then you, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. But this guy had been doing it for years and everyone was saying he's cheating, he's cheating. No one was ever riding with him, which makes it even more implausible because there was no way that without drafting, you could ride this fast if you weren't either doping or using some sort of electric motor on your bike. And the community hated this guy, but they couldn't ever really find enough evidence because cycling is such a lone sport. He wasn't doing this during any competitions. They could never really find evidence to indict him. So what uh, this guy, Phil Gaiman, who's a retiring, he just retired this year. He's a pro cyclist, decided he was just going to go break all this guy's king of the mountain records so he took some of his friends and since he's an actual pro rider he was able to beat a whole bunch of them but it's just basically a big middle finger to this guy like you're an asshole either you're doping purely to get strava achievements which is like the saddest thing imaginable because 
who cares? Like you're not doing it. He wasn't doing it for endorsements. He wasn't doing it to <laughs> like, he was never going to ride pro, you know, the guy was just not up to it, but it's like you spent all this time and effort just to get achievements on an online leaderboard on Strava. So yeah. So Strava, um, just really quickly revisiting the, the lifestyle blogger who cheated on the New York marathon. Yeah. There's this obsession with like the thing that we joke about as, as a cyclist myself, it's like, if your ride doesn't record, it, it's the end of the world. You're like, oh my God, if I, if I didn't post it to Strava, then I don't think it actually ever happened. Like if, if no one can see that I rode my bike 30 miles, like it didn't actually occur. But the, yeah, the Strava community is something I'd love to, to talk about at a later date, but it is a, it's a social, social network for athletes. And as you can imagine, it's highly competitive there's also aspects of like guys using it to try to creep on women. And there's like a whole other second and third layer of complexity to it. But in this particular case about the self-policing community, because they couldn't ever assemble enough evidence to get Strava to kick this guy off of Strava, what some pros decided was like, we're just going to go beat all his records because he's a douchebag. And so that's sort of they went on a mission to do that for a few months. And I think they broke a lot of them. I'm not sure if they got them all yet. But yeah, again, like just people doing things for no obvious reason. What strikes me and what I'd like to hear from you guys is as a hypothesis, it seems that the common thread that underlies like all of the motivations for being so vigilant in police in these communities is like this sense of honor. Like when when you look at a lot of things in America today, you don't think, wow, we're really a bastion of honor. But in a way, we are in our micro communities, perhaps not macro, but like all of these little communities of people that are passionate about a certain thing are going to defend that fucking thing uh, and the honor that is inherent to the people that participate and the honor of the thing itself. This just fascinates the hell out of me. <laughs> people are doing that. So I don't. I don't know if it's honor or if it's some sort of some weird um, like anger or jealousy or, or bitterness. <laughs> and I, I'd like to imagine it's honor because you look at, at, at certain games, let's say like Pokemon Go was huge and people uh, took to that game and then they got very upset because people were using all sorts of bots and manners of trickery to travel around the world uh, with their geolocation and pick up Pokemon that they couldn't get locally. And, it turned it turned into an issue because people who were legitimately com- competing um, got very upset because how can you compete with someone who's cheating? You know what's what's the point of me putting in all this effort to come in first if someone else can just find a hack around it? The, the counter argument being that in almost any sort of competition, any sort of game, if you're the saying is if you're not cheating, right. then you're not trying to win. Yeah. And that's pro sports. That's that online gaming. That's if you're not putting as in 120,000 percent, then you know, you're trying to find your as way. As a Patriots fan, I can say that that's 1,000 percent really true. I'm gonna, <laughs> we're we're going to enjoy those rings, whether yeah. they were acquired up on the up and up or not. Yeah, I know. I had to. I had so you got to put I, a star I, beside I, that. I'm sorry. I apologize to anyone who's listening who hates the Patriots, but I think it's about 98 percent of the audience. So I think that's a valid point. What is it about that? I think it's just a sense of fairness. I think in America. We desire, whether it's real or not, we desire that sense of fairness where we feel like everybody is, there's a psychological concept of fairness that I think people really value in America, especially. And it's why we get so mad when people cut in line. 
You know, like when someone cuts in line、mm-hmm. and doesn't say anything, they don't ask permission. They just cut ahead of you. You get this real, and it's different in every country. In some countries, it's normal. Like when I was in India, people just—if somebody gets in front of you, it's like too bad, dude. You're just not aggressive enough. Like, why are you waiting this far back in the line, you idiot? Yeah, the、exactly. ultimate meritocracy. But here we get cut in line, and we're like ready to <laughs> assault this person. Pull out a gun、do. and shoot so someone. I, but what I find the most interesting is that when you were referencing the bourbon community, that people have this agreed upon set of standards across a large community, which I think is rare, where they say, "Okay, this is reasonable. This is not reasonable." We all sort of generally agree on this for something like whiskey that's so subjective to begin with, where it's like people have very strong opinions about whiskey. I've Talked to lots of people about whiskey, and everybody has a strong opinion about whiskey. But I'm one of those. You've given me some very strong, strong opinions about, about whiskey. whiskey. I will, I will credit you with that. But for a large group of those people to get together and attempt to create a community, a clandestine community, on top of it, where everybody sort of has these general agreed upon guidelines about the subjective quality or value. Of these various things, I think is is really interesting. Well, it reminds me of the dark web, you know, Silk Road and these these illegal markets, which are pretty much based on reputation. You know, if you have the best、uh, the best drugs and you're you're well reviewed and tested to shows that the quality of what you have is great, then you know you, your name has clout. You can go to different markets and and the whole thing is still kind of hidden. Still, and it's illegal. It's very illegal.、Right. Um, but there's still that, yeah. But there's still the honor among crooks thing. You know, there's the、uh, they set a price that's a fair price based on the the purity of it, and you're you're not giving people the wrong drugs because you get found out very quickly, and then the pitchforks come out. And it's also you know you got to do your part、sure. to keep your customers safe. And this assumption that that we're all in this together on this in this in this illegal activity together, and as such we have to have each other's backs. But again. As we've seen time and time again in that situation, when the feds come knocking, it's really every man for himself. When 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 the shit hits the fan, it's you know. So when they you when the、run. ATF comes and、uh, and、uh, the bourbon the bourbon enthusiasts head for the exits, we'll, we'll see what <laughs> we'll see how, the, how much solidarity is left in the, in the community <laughs> at that point. But anyhow, that. Well, I guess I'm curious about the, the bourbon enthusiasts because bourbon, in my knowledge, is like a like a Southern American thing. So I'm guessing people have guns, and if someone was to run off with thousands of their dollars and they knew where they lived, I'm, it, it's only a matter of time before it becomes a personal altercation. Oh yeah, if someone shows up somewhere asking for. I think you may be some sort of restitution. Slightly romanticizing the、uh, production of bourbon at this point. I think it's mostly just hipsters with beards nowadays. On on that note, we'll wrap this one up about self policing of communities. Bourbon, drugs, marathons, cycling—there's a whole lot out there, and、uh, we'll revisit a lot of it down the road. But、uh, thanks, guys, for joining me, and cheers as always. Cheers. cheers.